<laughs> Morning, guys. Yes, I'm here to blow your minds. No, I'm joking. Oh, no, not really. Not really. Um, no, I'm looking forward to, to today. I've ar- I really enjoyed being here with you all and just the spirit of this place. And I'm just uh, looking forward to giving you some things that I've learned as I've been interested in how we're meant to live and the kind of process of change that occurs, I, I think, as we live out the way we were created to live uh, in relationship to each other and in relationship to God. And, um, and so I'm going to present some material, and then we're going to break out, and I want you to really think about, okay, how does this apply? How has this applied to my own life? How does this apply? How does this apply in ch- our church or in your local church or in your small group? How does this apply to us as a Christian community? And as you'll see as we talk, Community is, I really think, essential. It's an essential way in which God's created us to live. It's also an essential way in which he changes us. Um, And he changes us so that we're able to better participate in community. We're able to better live out the way we were created to live. So what we're going to kind of do, there's kind of three areas of of talking. And there'll be several sessions of breakout that we'll do. So I'll present some issues, some ideas, some materials, get you to process that in your own words, in your own language, and begin to apply it and ask questions. And we'll come back together and might get some of your feedback and some of your, your ideas as well. But first, I'm going to kind of talk a little bit about what is, I'm going to first introduce what we're going to talk about. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about what is spiritual formation, building off of chapel a little bit uh, yesterday. Then kind of talk about some of the psychology of spiritual formation and some of the brain changes we see and how we can learn more about who we are, how God has created us to live, I think, through that. And then in kind of talk about the spiritually formed brain. And if we have time, we're going to talk about some tools kind of in our digital age, I think, that are developing, we can think about developing, that'll allow us day in and day out practice community and practice being oriented to God in the way I think we should, even in the busyness of life and even as we spread out and go our separate ways throughout the week and can only join at certain times together often uh, as a church or as a community. So in 19... 696, a group of psychologists presented or primed people with either a list of antisocial words, words like disturb, bother, impolitely, aggravating, rude, annoyingly, obnoxious, and what they did, or, or prosocial words, pr- words like respect, honor, politely, graciously, patiently, considerate, appreciative. And what they did is they just had these people do word scrambles, okay, where you organize words into a sentence and some people, they didn't know this, but the words in their sentences were the antisocial words. Other people had the prosocial words, and they were just using these words to do word scramble. When they were done, the researcher acted like he was going over to help someone else, just acted like he was going to go over here and help someone else, even though they were done. And what they found out was that over 60% of the people who d- had the antisocial words acted in an anti-social way. They were rude, they interrupted what the person was doing, talking to the other person, and they acted in an anti-social way. Those who were dealing with the pro-social words, they were using those in their scramble, they only 18% of those interrupted. And so even though they didn't even realize the kinds of words they were using in the scramble, they're just using the test, it influenced them in ways they didn't even see. They didn't even notice this. Some acted more antisocially because they had the antisocial words, and others behaved more prosocially because of the prosocial words. So in another study done just a couple years ago, 
people were holding, they had people just hold a heavy clipboard and they were making evaluative judgments of another person. And they had another group holding a light clipboard. And obviously they didn't know the weights of the clipboards or that one group was heavy or one group was light. But the people who were holding the heavy clipboard were more critical and judged the person as being more uh, rigid, less flexible than the people who had the light one. Who they, were, they were more flexible, they were less rigid, even though the people were doing the same thing. Um, a similar study got into uh, an elevator and they thought they were on their way up to experiment and they gave one group was holding a hot cup of coffee, it was warm and someone got in. Another, they were holding a cold cup of coffee, iced coffee, and they got in and the people who were holding the warm cup of coffee judged the person as being more warm, more friendly, um, after they got up, they asked them. And then those who had the, the cold coffee, they were, more, they were more standoffish. They were more cold. Okay. One more study, and then I want you guys to think about, what does this show about us? What do all these studies? And there's multiple studies like this. Okay, there's another study, and this one may hit home because it was done with ministry students. Um, what they did was they took ministry students, and this is known as the Good Samaritan Study, and in this study, a group of uh, ministry students were individually asked to give a talk on the parable of the Good Samaritan. You all know that parable, so I won't go through that. But they were, they were told they were giving a talk, and it was going to be televised. Um, and so they were going to do this on the other side of the university. They made one group then think that they misunderstood the times and that they were late. They were late to get to their, to their talk, that they were going to talk on the Good Samaritan. And they rushed to go. Well, the researcher had planted someone who looked like they needed medical attention. It looked like they had fallen unconscious. And what do you think they found? Only 10% stopped. 90% rushed off to give their talk on the Good Samaritan. However, <laughs> that, that didn't, it wasn't Kingswood. This wasn't Kingswood. Uh, <laughs> but, but what they also found was if they weren't rushed, if they weren't rushed, then more likely they're more likely to stop. About half or 60% would stop if they weren't rushed. And what does all these show? I think in this situation is that the situation really influenced how we acted and whether or how we act. I think that's what this show's about us. And it can pull us to act and respond in the way we should or we shouldn't, in the way God intends us to live in relationship to each other. And that influences not just ourselves, but the other person, each other. So what I want you to do kind of in your first session and uh, so these, these are meant to be primers. I really want your discussion to kind of go where this leads. And as we get in, some of these discussions are going to be a little bit longer, but you can pick up on, you don't have to t discuss them all in depth. You can pick on those that really excite you, that really interest you, that you got, that stimulate ideas and really focus on those. But get in your, in your breakout groups and uh, kind of get comfortable because we're going to go back and forth several times today. So kind of you spread out, kind of get comfortable so you can talk and we can easily go back and forth. But Answer this, what do these kinds of psychological studies show about us? What do they have to do with spiritual formation? And can you think of specific cases where a situation, before you even knew it, pulled you away from the way you'd like to respond or the way you think that Christ and God would have you respond in that situation? So talk about that a little bit, and then we'll get back together and uh, discuss this some more. All right. Heard some good discussion. Does anybody want to share some thoughts? What are some of the things you guys discussed? Does anybody want to share? Either share um, some reflections about what this shows about us, or anybody want to even get even more bold and share some personal uh, stories. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. 
Oh, I think it's turned off. Okay. So, <laughs> sorry. Go ahead. Just speak up. in the process of spiritual formation, we want what influences our actions and what influences us all the time, no matter what our surroundings are, um, to be like what we read in the scriptures and the influence of the Holy Spirit. So um, what the psychological studies have to do with spiritual formation is um, the process of, of changing, changing, being... Um, moving from being influenced by our immediate surroundings to being continually influenced so that our immediate reaction is always something that, um, like Christ, how Christ would want us to react. Good. Excellent. Yeah. Other thoughts? Anybody else want to share? Thanks, Brent. I got it. <laughs> I need the exercise. <laughs> Kind of piggybacking off of what Kaya was saying, like we talked about influence, but then ultimately uh, with spiritual formation, it's kind of like a partnership work, like to be sanctified. And ultimately we're supposed to be like transformed into the, the image of Jesus. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Okay, good. Good. <laughs> All right. I think we're done. All right. You guys have no objection. I think we've got a little more to say, but good. Um, yeah, I think... You know, and I heard some of you talk about, I mean, how can we, like, moment to moment, like, think, okay, how is this influencing me, and then now I need to change and act another way? Um, no, we can't do that. But transformation is the process where our immediate responses are those that Christ would have, our expressions of God's dispositions we talked about on chapel, where we have the response, the emotional response, the thought response, the, the behavioral response, just immediately to be uh, that of Christ. Um, and that's the process of transformation. It's a changing of who we are at the core. And we each have, are going to be pulled in the ways we saw uh, initially and throughout our lives are going to be pulled to automatically have responses that aren't the ones that we're sh we should have or are not the ones that lead to flourishing for us or the other person. But transformation process, spiritual transformation, is, is the state of this disunity between who we should be who God's created us to be, and who we are right now. And how does this change occur in our lives so that we become who God's created us to be? So I think that these studies help us realize kind of the extent of our depravity and how we are deformed. I know that's really depressing, right? Well, but it also shows us uh, how we can uh, become spiritually formed. We just prime people, right? No, and okay, we're done. We just prime people with positive. No, I'm joking. But what it does show us, I think, is exactly what you guys said, is that about what it is to be spiritually formed, and that it's a change of who we are at the core in our responses. And so we've got this dilemma on our hand because, you know, I've, I've talked about this with several of you over, over meals, and um, this is kind of, we're meant to be unique expressions of the Imago Dei, to be the image of God, and to express his dispositions in life and in relationship to others. We're also meant to be capable of participating, in, fully participating 
in communities of true worship and true love, the kind of true love that we were talking about in chapel, unconditional love, the kind of love that God has shown us. And we're to be expressions of that in each other's lives. And this is what we're meant for. We're meant to participate in shalom, which means peace, wholeness, something we do together. But we can't because of this deformation. We don't respond. We don't have the responses that we should have initially. We don't show the Imago Dei. We aren't expressions always of the dispositions of God. We don't have the natural responses that God wants us to have or that we should have or that allows us to kind of work in each other's lives and to live in shalom, to live in peace and wholeness uh, with God and with each other. So I think that is the point of spiritual formation, and that's the central point of the church. It's restoring Imago Dei and restoring shalom. And it's within the church that the Holy Spirit works in a special ways to form us, to make us complete. And I think this is a central a point of the church. And it's no accident that we're formed in community, because we'll talk about this more, because I think formation happens in community, and this is no accident, because we're also formed for community. We're meant to be, that's, that's our telos, that's what our purpose is, it's to be in community. So we shouldn't think I'm gonna go off and get formed kind of on, on my own, and then that's gonna allow me to participate in community, no. We're meant for community. We're formed in community because we're formed for community. That's our telos. That's our reason to be, to be in communion and shalom with God and with God as being God of our, our whole life, everything we are, recognizing him in every aspect of our life and to be in shalom with one another, to be in peace uh, and showing unconditional love to each other. So Spiritual formation is the process of having our essence, our very nature, our core changed so that Imago Dei is restored and Shalom is restored. We're able to participate in intimate, loving community that expresses the love expressed by the Trinity, by God himself. That's part of being the image of God, is being able to participate in loving community. Without that, we're not recognizing the Imago Dei, the image of God. So, we should also kind of take note that throughout Scripture, Imago Dei and Shalom occur together. Uh, you don't have one without the other. They always occur together. And um, I think that just reiterates the fact that we become who we're created to be in community and for community. One implication of all this is that um, we don't naturally know how to worship. We don't naturally know how to love. We have to be changed so we do know how to worship. So we do know how to love. We do know how to participate in community with others. So our responses are what they should be. We're not born that way, but that's what we're created for. And so that's the reason why transformation has to happen in our lives, for us to fully experience the life we've been given as a gift. And it is a gift as well to be able to more and more experience and realize this life and communion with God and others. And we'll talk a little bit more about how to do it. The other thing that I think is an implication of this, is that, this is going to be a shocker, but faith in God isn't the goal. I know that seems shocking, but faith is merely a vehicle to get to the goal. It's through faith, which means really submitting to God, every area, every kind of the rhythms of our life, that our essence is changed, that we are changed at the core, and we're able to then truly love God, truly be in that relationship, that communion, shalom with God, and truly love one another. And that is the goal. The goal is love. Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And the point 
is for us to be able to be in a loving relationship with God, be capable of that. Be in a loving relationship with each other, be capable of that. And faith, submission to God, is the vehicle to get to there. It's just the vehicle, it's not the end. Paul says, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So faith and submission to the way of living made possible by Christ is a vehicle that within our Christian communities of people who are living this out, seeking to submit, seeking, being humble, seeking out to live how God's called us, are changed. And as we're changed, we're able to more fully participate in community, in community of true worship and true love. We'll experience shalom. Okay, so to kind of return back to the psychological studies I used to illustrate the death of our depravity, spiritual formation results in a change in our essence or nature uh, so that we express God's love, we express his intention, and we have his vision of reality. We start to see, and in in effect, we see things the way they are because his reality is reality. So we start to see ourselves, each other, what's happening around us as he sees it, as it really is. We, for the first time, see reality and see life, and that's part of opening up a new life, more full life. So, and we start to be pulled into this. The more we see it, the more we glimpse it, the more we're pulled into it. So our immediate non-reflective responses start to become expressions of God's love and intent because we're changed. And we're gonna talk about this today. We're talking about, we're not just spiritually changed, we are because we're oriented to what God's doing. We're mentally changed, our thoughts change, and we're physically changed. Our brains, if you were to look at them under a microscope, would look different. You would see physical changes of this process of God's grace changing us in community as we're oriented to him in a certain way and oriented to each other. So what I want you to do uh, now in this next kind of session is kind of just summarize and process what we've talked about in your own words. Um, kind of what were the key points? Okay, what spiritual formation? Uh, and you guys were already there, some of your comments before this session, so you're right on that we're on the same page. But what are some ways the church is done in Canada or wherever you're from that effectively promotes formation? And then what are some ways the church has done that might hinder formation? And what are some ways, uh, tangible ways, this formational process has taken place in your own life? Okay? So and that's what we're going to talk about a little more when we get back. So kind of just process this. Okay, what is spiritual formation on the basis of what we just talked about? And how is this effectively done? How are communities organized for this? How are some ways that maybe it could be organized better for this? And how has this taken place in your own life? Can you look back in your own life to see how you've been changed in certain ways so your responses aren't what they, what they used to be? Okay, so take some time to do that, and we'll get back and see uh, your thoughts, your comments, your questions. Answer some thoughts you heard or even some personal experiences. Anybody? Sorry, man. Yeah, I kind of, I have a, a question, I guess. Yeah. When it comes to formation, um, when, and I'll, I'll use the, like, the, the coffee thing as an example. That, w- spiritual formation, I guess it's both and, and you might get into this in further in, but would you say that it happens more in a moment of, like, an interaction with something? Right. Or it's like a series yeah. of interactions because the uh, basically is the the instance of being upset that your coffee is cold right. and, is that does that moment spiritually form you or is it 
a succession of those moments right. that over time yeah, changes good. you. Good, yeah. So we'll talk more about that. I think God works in various ways, but the ways that are regular are a process, I think, over time of the way we live. Um, and we'll talk more about that. That's a great question. And so then as a result of that, then we're changed so that in those moments, the way we respond is differently. Now, it doesn't mean we're not going to get frustrated. It doesn't mean um, we're not going to be angry. Even God, even Christ got angry. But our responses are going to be in tune with his because we're going to be changed. Um, and this, I think, is a process of growing and learning every day of life when we're in the rhythm of how God is working, when we're in the rhythm of the way he's created us to live. Good, good question, good thought. Other thoughts? Yeah. I was, we we're just kind of hoping you could uh, unpack this a little more. You said faith in God is not the goal. It's a vehicle to the goal. Right. Which we really like that. That really stuck out to us. And our understanding of it was that faith in God um, is the vehicle towards a deeper sense of community, deeper sense of connectedness, like a deeper sense of us relating to God and, and also to each other. Is that what you meant by that? Yeah. So it's the way to come into communion and intimate relationship with God as, as worship. God is God of our lives and, and uh, with love. Yeah. And so at that point, when you, uh, I don't have faith in um, my wife. I love her, you know. Um, and I think that's the way we're supposed to be with God. Is we don't have faith in him. I mean, we do trust him. That's part of, but that's part of that loving relationship and having him as God all of our lives. Yeah, good. Other thoughts? Yeah. So it doesn't stop at faith. The whole idea of formation here reminds me of a quote that I read a couple years ago, and I won't get it verbatim, but it's something along the lines of every action in life, every choice, every event is like uh, like an artist chipping away at a block of granite. Mm. Everything we do reveals what that person, what that image is going to be inside. And we have that choice to daily be revealed in God's image mm -hmm. or to willfully step out in the old nature, mm -hmm. in the old image. And at the end of the road, we're going to have that granite cleared away. We're going to have that stone cleared away. And the image there is going to be what we have invested that time in, mm -hmm. whether we've invested the time in being formed into God's image or into our own willful image, which will ultimately mar the art. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's right. We'll see some of the, even our physical brain is chipped away or changed all on the basis, I think, of how we respond to God's movement in our midst, whether or not we do our own thing or whether we surrender. And when I mean surrender, I don't mean it's not just being passive because surrender can be doing things that we don't see why we're doing it or it's not what we want to do. That's kind of an active form of surrender. And all of this, all of our choices, uh, yeah, chip away at us. So we'll talk about these physical changes that happen, making us more into like Christ, having the dispositions of Christ, or more of whatever else is leading us, which often, if it's not Christ, it just tends to be whatever's in the moment, and it's all over the place, and we never become fully formed of who we were supposed to be. Good. Other thoughts? My kind of goes like more with the first thing and I was just kind of sitting here and pondering and I was like I thought like the it was just kind of like an eye-opener and more of a reminder that even as Christians 
we still need Christ to get through anything. And in all those situations, I was like, the root of all those things you said was selfishness. And that's our human nature. And so, like, we need Christ in order to get through all those things. Like, they reacted angry because they wanted some Mm -hmm. warm coffee. Mm -hmm. You know, they passed over the guy that needed help because they had to get somewhere. And I think that as Christians especially, if we are so quick to overlook things because we want to get somewhere, we can miss out on something great. I think that's key too. Yeah, good, good. I think that is. Yeah, recognizing even in our own lives where we're responding in ways that are often selfish or and we don't even realize. It's not like, oh, I'm going to be selfish today. It's something happens and that's our response, you know. And when we recognize that and being open and surrendering, that is part of the process of of us being formed or fully formed. Good, good. Last thought. Any last thoughts? Yeah. Um, I had a question. The way I understand things is that I understand things by like correlating them to other like scientific things or things you can see in the world. And so I was wondering, in correlation to spiritual formation, could that be seen when you're intro to counts? No, child psychology yesterday. You talked about like how the prefrontal cortex and then the Amygdala nucleus, is that what it was? Nucleus accumbens. Nucleus yeah. accumbens. <laughs> How that uh, works with urge and then uh-huh. reason. Right. And so I was wondering if the way spiritual formation works is kind of like that. How we are before is like just going with the urges, but then as yeah. we get spiritually formed is when our prefrontal cortex develops. Yeah. And we start to, with the brain, we start, you know, running our urges through the filter of logic, yeah. but in yeah. spiritual formation, we start running it through the filter of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, excellent, that's excellent. Kind of yeah, it? yeah, so we're, yeah, that's that's right. I think we'll talk a little bit more about this, but prefrontal cortex is the is an area that's crucial for us to, to, uh, to act and to act on the base of our intentions rather than our urges and emotions. And um, it can be formed, we'll talk about this in such a way, so that our actions are aligned with, what God would have us to do, with what he would do. And we'll also talk about the fact that as a result, our emotions can be trained. Our emotions now start to change to be the emotions that God would have first. And so it's like allowing that process to to occur versus just acting on your emotions all the time, and then you're just shaped in every which way depending upon the moment. Good, yeah, anticipating where we're going. Okay. So let's go on to the kind of next session. Excellent uh, discussion and ideas. And so here we're going to start talking about, we're going to start talking about and addressing this question, how are communities that are effective at spiritual formation organized? What are some of their features? Um, when, when are churches effective places where uh, people are becoming more like Christ? And we need to recognize that when we're turning to this question, we're not turning to questions about away from how God changes us to how we change ourselves we're really looking at how we can organize our lives and our communities to be in the rhythm of God's working, the way he's intended us to live, the way, the regular way he's set up the world and that he's constantly sustaining and creating and recreating, talked about from Isaiah 43, recreating us and how he plans us to live. And we're actually just turning our ability to observe and our ability to reason, which are Again, gifts of God, we're turning those to his intentions. We're now submitting those to what his intentions are for us. And we're just seeing how has he meant for us to live. So I think what psychological research can help us with is, um, is to look at how we're meant to live 
as expressions of, of God's dispositions and loves and community. And we can um, see the, that this physically changes us, which we've already talked about, and that we become restructured so that then we have the responses that God would have. We become expressions of God's love. And so then we physically impact other people. When we are, have been physically changed, we are physical expressions of God's love, they become physically changed too in the interaction. And so that is a means of grace, that God allows us to participate in forming each other and changing each other and even physically changing each other, changing our brains, changing the way then we will respond. So when we do psychological research to see how there's a regular basis, a process, a rhythm to the way God has intended us to live and how we can get into this rhythm or flow, I think this should be likened to an act of faith. It is just another vehicle for us to be opened up to what God is doing in our midst and to surrender to it intentionally, to be aware of it, to be aware of where the springs are forming up, where the way is making a way in the desert and getting in that way and allowing those springs of grace to change us. So this is an act of faith. And I, pulling from chapel as well, because it's a process, like we, you, you mentioned, like we talked about, it shouldn't be any less amazing to us than a Damascus Road experience where it happens all at once. It's no, more le- it's no less amazing. It's no less an act of God. It's no less a, an act of grace. We just, I think, take it for granted. We find it less amazing because it's a regular part of life. It's the way God's intended us to live, and it happens over such a long time. Um, so, like, I'll be explaining something to Dietrich, my three-year-old, like, uh, um, you know, he'll ask, you know, where, like, corn comes from, because we live in the middle of cornfields, and I said, well, there's a seed, and there's dirt, and then it grows, and then there's corn. And he's like, no, no, corn doesn't come from, from dirt and a seed and some water and sun. You know, that's crazy. And, you know, what we do is we're just describing the natural way God has created and sustains the world. And it is crazy. We take it for granted because we've known about it for so long and it happens year after year. The same thing with the, where he's asked, like, where do babies come from? Where, well, you came from mom's, mom's tummy. He's like, you're joking, dad, right? You're joking. He thinks it's a joke. And it is amazing. But we take it for granted because it's regular. And I think the regular process of spiritual formation is the same way. We may think it's less amazing, think it's less an act of God because it's our whole lives, and it's regular. It's meant to happen every day. But it's no less amazing. It's still what God is doing. And all we can do is kind of describe it, see where it's happening, and, and surrender to it and participate in it as we become more formed. And so let's talk about um, how people are changed. Because what we're talking about, and we've already talked about this, is a dispositional change, where I'm changed who I am as a core, my responses, my thought process in certain contexts or my uh, ways of behaving, or my emotions have been changed. They've been restructured so that they align with uh, what God is feeling, what God would think, what God would do, what Christ would do. How does this dispositional change happen? And so two of the biggest promoters of change are confidence that you can change and motivation to change. This is what psychology, if, you're, if you have confidence that you can change, if you have motivation to change, the research says these are the biggest promoters to change. You're, it's highly likely that this change is going to happen. So I'm going to talk a little bit about these. I'm going to start with confidence that we can change. 
So in, the, in psychology, confidence that you can change is called self-efficacy. And it's kind of the confidence that if kind of one chooses to change, one can do things so it happens. But given what we've talked about, and in the church and in the, this theological context, I think we should talk about God efficacy. And that is confidence that God is changing us. He already has. And he will. And, and talking about this over and over again, seeing it in our own lives, recognizing it in other lives, being alongside of people who have been changed, builds confidence, God efficacy, confidence that we can change. And we do sing songs about this, but often we sing you know, songs like, Our God is mighty to save, but I think we should also talk about Our God is mighty to change. And these kinds of, these, the, we need to talk about this. We need to be pointed out. Often we don't want to point it out because we think, oh, I'm looking at myself and I'm, you know, bragging. Well, really, if we're doing it the right way, we're just showing what God is doing. We're, we're showing this is God efficacy. He's changing us. And so there's kind of three ways to kind of increase God efficacy. And this is by referencing previous successes and seeing past change. Once you've experienced it, there's no doubt that it can happen, right? Vicarious learning, learning through others, seeing others being changed, being alongside living life day in and day out alongside people who have changed, who are already having this dispositional change, and expressing confidence, and expressing confidence to each other. So in a sense, we're seeing each other as God sees us, the way he plans us to be, the way he's created us to be, that end goal of, of where he's, how he's forming us. That's how we should see each other, is the way God plans and knows that we can become and that he has planned us to be. So um, I want to talk a little bit, so one of the things is we should tell the stories of change, but I want to talk a little bit more about vicarious learning. And again, this is learning from being alongside someone else. This is particularly powerful promoter of God efficacy. And the reason is being around people who express the fruits of transformation, the fruits of the Spirit, is a strong promoter for us to experience this transformation for ourselves, to start to be changed. If you spend day in and day out with transformed people, chances are you will be transformed. And nothing leads to God efficacy, recognizing that God has the power to change us and like, you've, like experiencing it. If you'd experienced it, you know it can happen, right? So I'm going to talk a little bit about this. I'm going to talk a little bit about the neurophysiology, the brain science behind what's going on with vicarious learning. So the reason why being tra around transformed people promotes change in us has to do with how relationally intertwined we are, how wired we are to one another. We become in sync with each other. We, when we're around people, you know, I talked about yesterday, I start to think the way my wife thinks. This is why marriage is so important. Because the people you're around, you are so intertwined, you become in sync with them. They have an emotion, you share that emotion. They start responding in certain ways and you're watching them. You have the feeling as if you're responding in that way as well. And so there's a system in our brains called the mirror neuron system. Okay, it's this group of neurons in the prefrontal, kind of middle, and it's spread all around right here in the, in the, uh, right here in the parietal region and then the temporal region. And so these groups of neurons 
are really interesting. They are active when I am watching someone do something or expressing something. They are also active when I'm doing it myself. So they are active both when I'm watching someone behave in a certain way, do something, express something, and they're involved when they're required for me to do it. What this means is that as someone is expressing love around me, as someone is expressing the fruits of the Spirit around me and the dispositions that we're meant to have, my brain is active in a way similar to if I was doing it myself. My brain is mirroring theirs. It's active in a way that theirs is. And if this happens over time, physical changes are going to happen to me so that when I'm in those situations, I'm going to have that initial automatic expression that they have, that expression of love, that expression of care. So you see that if someone is expressing the love of God, God is using that to physically change a person who's in their presence. Their brain is being active in the same way, and over time, they will be physically changed. So now when they're in that situation, they're going to show those same fruits. They're going to have those initial responses. So our brains mirror each other when we do various things. And this just goes to how important community is. We're meant not just to have this relationship. We're meant to have this relationship. And our relationship here, God is working through this relationship here. And he's meant, he's meant us for that. Because remember, he's not just changing us in community. He's changing us for community. Okay, so now I'm going to talk about the second uh, main change, and that's outcome expectations. So outcome expectations is the deeply rooted belief, and really not just the belief, but the expectation that change will lead to a desirable outcome. And so I've got this cartoon that says, this will never work. We don't even like carrots. <laughs> so I think sometimes we have, um, we have the... Uh, propensity to sometimes present what it is, the abundant life, the life that God has intended us to live, as something that's really not that desirable. And that's because we're not, ca we're not showing the fullness of it, and probably we're not living in the fullness of it ourselves. You know, we'll get um, bogged down with rules and things like that, rather than living out this kind of flourishing life of being changed to respond and live the way God has intended us. And this will open up an experience. And I think, like I said, once you've experienced it, once you get a taste of it, um, you're going to be so thirsty for it. And you're going to uh, just, your thirst can't be quenched. This is what your outcome is, is that the life that God has for me is so much bigger and better than any life I can fashion for myself or following my own desires. And so having this and building this outcome expectation that what God has for us and who he has you to become is is so much bigger than you can imagine. And allowing God's imagination to start to inform your imagination and our imagination and how that's going to play out using each of our gifts and, and abilities. So outcome expectation. So kind of if we're going to sum up God efficacy and outcome expectation, it's I think like this. We need to be daily and moment to moment, bring each other into the awareness that God is present and working in our midst. And we also need to bring each other into the awareness of the reality that God has for us, what he has planned for us, the reality of, of what he's doing and the dreams and the visions that he has. Um, and I think when we do this, it's contagious. 
when we're doing this together in community, it's contagious, that our brains will start mirroring each other, and they're going to be mirroring what Christ would have for us. They're going to be mirroring the way God has intended us to live. And um, these will result in changing so that we start to experience and get a taste of the abundant life he's created us for. We'll start living out our telos, and nothing will be more fulfilling than telos or shalom, wholeness and completeness. So um, my wife wasn't very happy that I did this. Uh, Dietrich, our three-year-old, I know I'm going to use him for examples for everything, uh, he really likes juice. He really likes juice. He loves it. Okay, he's juice, more juice. Can I have some juice? Um, and so then I thought it was a good idea. I was like, hey, if he likes juice, he's going to love Coke. So I gave him some Coke. <laughs> and now he doesn't want juice. He wants Coke. Coke? And he calls it spicy Coke because he thinks carbonation so he's spicy Coke. I really like spicy Coke, Dad. So... He had, he had this picture, you know, juice is the best thing there is, you know. Um, it's really bad. I shouldn't have introduced him to Coke. But juice is the best thing he, there is. And then I gave him Coke, and it totally blew his mind, you know. I mean, he, he didn't even know this existed. And that's what God wants to do for us and will do in our midst if we allow it, if we surrender. He wants to blow our minds. So we think this is so good. Get a taste of what he has. We'll never thirst for that other stuff again. So I've been doing some study with Christian exemplars uh, with some uh, friends of mine, the colleagues. And what we do is we go to various churches and, ethnicity, and ethnicities, and it's just, we've just been able to do it in the U.S. And we go to these communities and say, who in your communities stand out as living the abundant life? As like showing the fruits of the Spirit, showing Christ. And they don't hold a, a, a position of ministry. They're just doing this day in and day out. And, who, and so we started to interview these people. And we learn a lot, we think we can learn a lot about not only who God's called us to be, but how we become formed in that way through these people. And without doubt, I mean, this, these are some of the things that they, they said. So I thought, man, this guy could be anything. They're talking about somebody else that, that influenced them. He could have whatever, and here he is serving, and he has forsaken everything. Another one of our exemplars said, the abundant life would be to cut out all the junk, And have time to really serve God better. Uh, another one of his beautiful homes said, this doesn't matter a hoot. I would like some little apartment, a little condo, so I could have more time for what really matters. Another one said, if you look at Jesus, Paul, the ones who had an impact, they traveled real light. And then uh, the last one said, I serve this wonderful God who I'm totally convinced he's in the process of changing me to be who he wants me to be. And so in each one, you see a little mixture of both or one or the other of outcome expectation. There's something so much better, and it's very different than what we're told or we naturally desire, what we're told is the best thing. And we also see God efficacy. No doubt that he's doing it. So what I want you to do in your breakout groups is kind of discuss this. Um, which promoters of change got you really thinking and stimulated some ideas of your own? And maybe you've seen evidence in your own life. Um, God efficacy or outcome expectation. And think about and list some ways the church historically, uh, maybe here or in other cultures, implemented some of these promoters of change. And what are some ways we can do this more and more 
think about some tangible, practical ways to implement or reinstate these kinds of things in our communities today. Go for it. All right. We kind of talked about in our group with the outcome expectancy of God changing our characteristics and the people around us, not having the mindset of if God is going to change this about me, but that God is going to change this about me yep. um, because like he calls us to be holy like he is holy. So it's not if he's going to, yep. but he will yep. do it. That's right. Yeah. And I think we miss that because we're often looking for these instantaneous events. We're, and we're missing what he's doing every day. Yeah, good. Oh, yeah, oh, you're here, now work over. Yeah. Um, I think uh, something interesting we talked about is how when we watch other people love one another and we see them do Christ-like things, I think that when we're seeking to live in the presence of God, that has the same effect on our brain as well. Mm, yeah. In terms of, like, when it's like when we're sitting down, and we can sense someone walk in the room. Yeah. It's like that with the presence yeah. of God, like we're being re reorienting ourselves towards him, like Excellent. turning around. So You're anticipating where I'm going in the next section. I, you know, you guys don't even need me here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was talking in my group um, that the, like thinking about the promoters of change reminded me of a quote that I actually have on my phone. Um, that I was thinking about all, like the, the methods you were talking about, like the self-efficacy and God-efficacy, so like past successes, mm -hmm. expressing confidence, outcome expectancy is all good, um, but it's only effective um, in, in the pursuit of, of change. How do I say it? Um, like when we're pursuing change, we need to, to pursue that change past the point where like we need to push past wanting to because we're because at some point pursuing change is going to get difficult mm -hmm. and we're not going to want to anymore yeah. like we're going to go through like a desert that's right type yeah. thing and it reminded me of a quote from the screw tape letters by mm -hmm. c.s lewis um if that's okay if i share yeah. it yeah um no no c.s lewis here please no i'm joking <laughs> <laughs> he wants them to learn to walk and therefore must take his take away his hand, and if only the will to walk is really there, he is pleased even with their stumbles. Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks around upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished, asks why he has been forsaken, and still obeys. And I think that really encapsulates the pursuit of, of change and transformation to look more like Christ, because in in Christ's time on earth, he pursued past a point where he wanted to. Like he, mm -hmm. in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, yep. he looked up and was like, is there any way, like I don't want to do this, but yep. I will. Yep. And so when we're pursuing change, like it gets to the point where like we're working hard and we get to the point where we feel like we can't do it anymore or like we feel like God isn't around or like, or close um, and we keep going. Yeah. And that's yeah. where real change happens. Yeah. Like Good. it, it like that's how we build up like spiritual mm -hmm. muscle almost is like pushing past where yeah. it gets hard and yeah. we don't feel like it's effective anymore. Yeah. That's what's going to change us. Good. Yeah. A couple of things that submission when we're not doing what we want to do. That's key. I think the other, the other, another key is that recognizing that it's God who produces the growth. It's not up to me. And there's a freedom in that when I'm just being obedient, even past the point that I desire. Maybe this is really not what I want to do. But also, I'm not, 
I'm just called to obedience. God produces the growth. And that, that, that provides freedom for him to work and not for me to be anxious about it and try to do it myself. Do I see a hand over here? Oh, right there, yeah. And then I'll come back up there. Uh, one of the things we talked about in our group, actually, a little, little different, is um, why we, we don't see, like, big changes, though. Yeah. Like, why we don't see, like, instantaneous change. Mm-hmm. Or mountains moving, or people kneeling over compound fractures, praying, yeah, and, like, yeah. big, big healings happen. Yeah. Is that we, we don't actually believe it. Mm. Yeah. I mean, we read about it and go, that's kind of cool in the Bible, but we don't actually believe it can happen. Good, yeah. And... You know, God God can work in, in both ways. That's right. It can yeah. be big and instantaneous. It can be progressive and, you know, piece by piece. But we, we don't really, we don't believe in the big things. Good. Yeah, yeah. It's that, that part of the believing in both. And God does work in these instantaneous ways. But one of the things that I hope and that I've been learning through this is that they're both big. Whether it takes time, a lifetime, or it takes an instant, they're both big. God's working in both ways. And there's one way that he regularly works that are within the rhythm of life, the way he creates and sustains us in the universe. And when you realize he's behind this and where to get into that flow, that's just as amazing and much an act of God, a divine act is, as when there's little instances where he, he does his will uh, at a one, one spot, one point. We really talked quite a bit about referencing past success and vicarious learning. Uh-huh. And the, the two points uh, there with the vicarious learning is looking at the other side of the coin. If those same neurons are firing when we watch or listen to something as if we're doing it ourselves, think of all the garbage That's right. that we watch, that yep. we listen to, that That's we right. pollute our minds with daily. And so many times we think, well, it doesn't have that much of an effect. Mm-hmm. But if it's as if we're doing it ourselves, yep. then just think of the damage that we're doing to that Imago Day. Yeah. Think of the damage we're doing to the image of God in our lives. Mm-hmm. But the other thing with referencing past success is look at the Bible. I mean, this mm-hmm. is what Jewish culture is based on. This is the God of your fathers, Abraham, mm-hmm. Isaac, right, and Jacob. Yeah. This is the God who brought you out of Egypt, right, who brought yeah. you across the Red Sea, who yeah. brought you through the wilderness. That's right, yeah. Be reminded of what God has done. Good. Yeah, yeah, that reminding of we're part of this story that's been going on forever, uh, and the change is evident. And, you know, they would build altars where God met them and t- to remember. And that's part of that, that efficacy. Brent? Here, catch. <laughs> I just, um, I, I hope you get to, and I, I don't know exactly where everything you're going with it, but just to the fake it till you make it mentality, because you hear some people that vocalize the hope and the seeing the change, and it comes to fruition, but then I also see a lot of people in Christianity that feel burnt by it, because they proclaim something for a long time, but never see the change, and yeah. then almost get disillusioned by that too. So you see some people that's very active in it, they see that change, you see other people that seem like they're proclaiming these truths but never see the fruition and yeah. actually get very disillusioned by it. Yeah, that. good. Yeah, excellent point. I think part of what we'll get there is this is being very real and realistic about where we are and being okay with that. You know what I mean? Is that we need to see where people are at and, and be, be very real about that and honest. And that's what we'll talk about next section. I saw one more hand over here. Can you pass that down for me? Um, we talked a little bit about vicarious learning, and um, one thing that I think people talk about a lot is the importance of having mentors. But I think often we limit to we limit it 
to meeting and talking, mm-hmm. but having actually an opportunity to serve along with the mentor and see them display um, Christ likeness in, yeah. in a participatory way, yeah. I think would be really valuable in a lot of yeah. churches. Again, I'm going to talk about, you guys are just, Brent, I'm just going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about mentoring a little bit. Um, so I, you guys really don't need me. All right, well, let's take a break. Take about a five-minute break here, and we'll get back together, and we'll talk about some of these things that you guys already anticipated. We got a lot more talk. Thanks, guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Actually trying to design the program. Now, now hear this word carefully. That might actually relieve some stress in your lives. So it was part of the, the day last Wednesday, where as an entire campus, we went to Caton's and just met with God. Just spent a day with God. I don't know how you felt. I slept better last Wednesday night than I think I have in months. I came back. We just had a great day, and I actually, embarrassingly enough, fell asleep in the middle of the sun. And when you have a forehead as big as mine, um, I was just kind of burning up. But it was... I slept so well last Wednesday. Anybody else sleep well last Wednesday? Oh, it was great. So, Brent, thanks for putting that together. That was wonderful. Um, So we're trying to relieve stress. There's another way. Beginning a week from Thursday, a week from Thursday, um, Natalie and Lindsay are beginning a small group on stress management. So you'll see some posters around campus, some flyers. It'll be meeting next Thursday from 7 to 8. Um, Lindsay, where are you? Oh, they're right in front of me. Um, 7 to 8 in Cafe Berea. Um, so uh, if you would like to talk to Natalie or to Lindsay about that, please do that. I think it'll be a great opportunity for you. Um, third thing I want you to keep in mind. Now, I've said this to a couple of you, but I think you all realize that. What Jason has been sharing with you this morning and what he's been sharing in the classes is about this much of what he knows. Now, that's kind of good news and bad news, isn't it? Because if he shared it all, your heads would blow up. However, if he is making you hungry and you'd like a little bit more, from 2 o'clock till about 3.30 or so, Um, Dr. Lee will be meeting in room 205 to get things started. So at 2 o'clock, it'll be kind of an open-ended kind of thing. You may have questions for Dr. Runyon that has not yet been answered today. There may be some things that he said that's taking you down a road that you would like to pursue. So from 2 to about 3 or 3.30, as long as you'd like to be there and linger, Dr. Runyon will be there and engage with you. So 205 2 o'clock this afternoon. Um, If you're interested, grab somebody, come along, and talk about spiritual formation in the brain. So, Jason. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So, really excited about what we've got left and what we've already uh, discussed, and man, you guys are are great. Um, So, what we're going to talk about now is what we've learned in the last 15 years of psychology. So, for a long time, psychology was focused on what's going on when things go wrong disorders, problems, and things like that. And recently, there's been this shift to what's going on when things are going right. Let's just look at people who are flourishing, who are growing, who are um, fulfilled, who are psychologically growing and healthy. What's going on there? And um, it's not surprising that um, that there's there's a spiritual component to this. 
spirituality is, is one of the things that are present in people who are living vibrant, healthy, psychologically growing lives. Um, and in the context of what we talked about, it's because they're restoring the Imago, the Imago Dei is being restored in them. And also shalom, being able to really live the way they're meant to, to live, where we're created to. They're functioning the way they're supposed to um, in relationship to each other and God. So in the five areas, one of the ways they look at this is, is how people live, how long they live. And the five areas of the world where people, on average, live the longest, which is one sign of, I think, living the way we're, we're intended, where God's created us to, is that they're active, they eat from gardens, but they, they're communities that are close-knit, they're community-oriented, they're intimate, they're small, they know each other, they express love uh, each other daily, um, and they're Christian spiritual communities, some, some Catholic. So there have also been specific dispositions uh, that have been associated with flourishing. It's not surprising um, what we talked about already. Those promote flourishing because, again, this is opening up the life that we're meant to live. But also um, a couple others that we'll talk about now are mindfulness, self-awareness, and self-regulation. And I think where what we were talking about before, it talks about orienting ourselves to each other and when God is working in our midst, how that can, God can like physically change us and use each other to participate in what he's doing in each other's lives. I think this is part of orienting ourselves to God's movements, to what he's doing in our midst. And so I'm gonna say a little bit uh, about each of these. It's about um, being positioned in the way we're meant to be as God's moving and acting in us and around us. And this promotes us being changed, becoming more who he's created us to be as he, we interact with him. We can't, if we're in the presence of God and we recognize it, we can't help but be changed, even if this is over the process of a lifetime. So first of all, mindfulness. Mindfulness is purposeful awareness of one's present experiences and mental states moment to moment. This is the psychology literature, and I'll think about some applications here after I introduce it. So it's being purposefully aware aware of yourself, aware of your states, aware of what's going on around you, okay? And so it's not as you wish it would be. It's not as you hoped it would be. It's as it is. You're actually aware and honest about your own states, your own emotions, your own responses, or the way you want to respond, as well as what's going on around you. And doing this, practicing this mindfulness and getting better at it. So you're doing this throughout the moments of your life. You're like living presently. You're not drawn to what's happened in the past. You know, I just focused on some bad mistake you made in the past. And you're not focused always on something that you want to get to. You're present. Um, and this also leads to two other things that promote um, positive change and spiritual formation, I think, is, is self-awareness and self-regulation. So for, um, I think self-awareness is best introduced uh, with a video. So this is a kind of a video that illustrates, I think, self-awareness. There's all this pressure. What it is. You know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless. And I don't know if it's gonna stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever gonna stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail <laughs> in your head. It is not about the nail. 
Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there. Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing- You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. See, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, you're not even listening now. Okay, fine, I will listen, fine. It's just, sometimes it's like, there's this achy, I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. That sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on. Ow. If you would just don't try to see things my way. Do I have to keep on talking till I can go on? All right. We All right. can work it out. <laughs> we can work it out. So, so one thing, it is true that, guys, we just need to listen more than try to fix it. But what I like that video is funny. But uh, is some, that's self-awareness or the lack thereof. There's things in our lives that uh, if, uh, we're not attuned to and that may be interfering with us living the flourishing life, being formed in the way we're supposed to. And if we ignore it, if we're not aware of it, if we don't pay attention to it, if we're not in communities that allow us and promote us and even show honesty about it, then it's never gonna get, it's never gonna get taken care of. It's always gonna be there. So that's self-awareness, is being aware. Man, I, I really wanna respond in a way that I shouldn't. And not covering it up, and also providing uh, communities that promote this honesty, that show it, that the leaders show it. The leaders are honest about what they're struggling with. And this intimate community of open honesty within the midst of love and with the idea that God is always completing the work he started. So that's self-awareness. So let's move on to to self-regulation. Self-regulation is important for positive change because first we must be, oh, sorry, that was awareness. We just covered that. I'll go on. Self-regulation is the ability to not be pulled away from our intentions or what we should do by emotional responses, by things in our life that emotionally tug on us. And this is another ability that we can kind of develop. And actually, um, mindfulness helps with this too. So that when we feel called to do something or we know that we should do something and uh, we're not just pulled by every little thing, every little thing that tugs at our emotions. And what this does is it really helps us. It's not that we don't have emotions. It's that 10 things may stir up emotions that can lead us just to be blown, you know, it's like by a ship in the breeze, by wherever it's going to go. And so now our emotions are in control rather than other things, rather than being formed and transformed. And so being able to self-regulate, it's not to be unemotional. It's more to be emotionally stable, where um, even though there is, you know, you think about this as a ship, and even though there is ebbs and flows, you're able to kind of stay on path uh, in the midst of it. So it's not being kind of swept all over the place. Okay, so... Let's talk a little bit about how I think we can promote these things or how they are, have, or, or have been promoted um, in the church and how we can do this better in our communities. I think there are a number of communal practices and disciplines that have been handed down to us and that um, really I see that as, 
as revelation. It's like scripture informing a community that lives in a certain way, and we don't need to reinvent the wheel often. We just need to see how God has been working, and we see how God has intended us to live forever, then and now. So first one is that silent meditation away from others and uh, before God. Be still and know that I am God. I think that's something you guys did. We were just talking about that. You guys did last week. And these are times that allow us not to just be mindful of ourselves stepping away and recognizing the things that are going on around us in our lives and in us, but also time away to be mindful of God in our midst, of what he's doing, of being present right then and right there while we're in silence. Be still and know that I'm God, that I'm present. And that this is then something we can take into every situation of our life as well. We can learn uh, to be aware of God's presence, be mindful not just of our own states, but be mindful of God's presence and, and love uh, and how he's working in our midst and in our lives. And so the church has a wealth of meditational prayers and practices for this that I think um, we should reinvigorate, reuse, and even like uh, start to study these and, and look at, at um, where these are, are effective in communities. Um, so one, one is uh, St. Ignatius's daily examine. And what this is, is it's a practice that's been used a long time, which at the end of every day, you're mindful of every event think back through the whole day. And you don't just think about the day, you're mindful of God's presence, direction, and activity in every moment of the day. And if we could do that, think about that, how you would be in tuned, not only mindful to what's going on yourself, but mindful to where God is leading, where he's present. What needs to change? I mean, that's being self-aware right there. What needs to change about us, but also where he is changing us, where he's moving. So actually, there's, a, uh, there's been a recent study, uh, a, neuro, a neuroscience study. And so what they did was they took a community um, and they, they looked at people who had been practicing uh, praying and sent, um, meditation and prayerful attunement to God's presence and activity. They spent time meditating and praying, being aware of God's presence and activity in their life. And then afterward, they looked at their, their brains and they found that certain areas of the brain were after, this is not while they're meditating, this is after, this is after the fact, that this led to increased activities in specific areas of the brain. And this showed a different state. They were kind of in a different state um, of being. And this was associated, this increased activity in areas of the prefrontal cortex, which is involved in kind of awareness, it's also involved in um, our state to move and to act, the state we're in when we're ready to, to behave or ready to act. But these changes were associated with complex states of actual visceral body sensations, actually different feelings in their body, um, positive emotions of joy, of love, of feeling peace, feeling unconditional love. And this is also a state that there's evidence supports that we're open to being changed. When we're in this state, we're open to being changed. And actually for us, our brains to be physically changed so that we are different, our dispositions start to change and become different. So that's one. The other, and I've already mentioned this, is God uses close, open, genuine, transparent, trusting communities of accountability 
And this isn't communities that get together and tell each other what's wrong with each other. These are communities that love each other day in and day out. They're with each other. They're rooting for each other to succeed. They're there to help each other in times of need. Because sometimes we talked about it getting rough. The good news is we're not here to do it alone. There may be times when I doubt. That's when I'm there, the community is there and for me to lean on. There's times when each of us are struggling, and that's the good news is that the life and the, what we're meant for isn't one of solitude for us to be alone. It's one for us to participate in community and to depend on in various ways on each other. But when we do, when we live life together, we know each other. And when we know each other, we're able to speak wisdom into each other in a way that you can't just come up from some person off the street and say, hey, you're doing this wrong. You need to live this way. You just, and we can think about it just in our own lives. If someone really, truly knows us and lives daily in and out, they're not going to go anywhere. They're with us forever. Um, you know, as long as we're here, they're going to be with us. And we know they love us and we know them. And then they say, hey, Jason, I've been meaning to talk to you about this or something like that. And they are able to make me self-aware of things, and I'm open to being self-aware. And that's the other thing. I need to be open to being self-aware um, of things. And that doesn't mean being completely uncritical, but I'm open to, I've got a stance of I'm open to recognizing where maybe I'm not even being aware of, of how I'm behaving in a way that's hurtful to me or others or isn't the way God has me to be. But when someone in a loving relationship comes to me and talks to me that way, that has an effect on me. I do become more self-aware. If someone just comes in that I don't even know or doesn't know me well or isn't spending the time to get to know me, does, isn't, isn't living life with me and, and says something to me about how I need to change or correction, what's our typical response is like, you don't know me. And in a sense, they don't. And so again, this intimate, close, um, close community that allows us to become more self-aware. Often we can see other people and become aware of things in our own life through watching them, um, especially good characteristics. That, um, For me, I watch someone who's patient, and I struggle with patience. That really helps me to see how to be patient and to recognize um, how I can work on that and how that can, can change in my own life and really desire it because I see it in action and how beautiful it is and how, how good it is. So in our exemplar studies, without fail, each exemplar pointed out to the importance of being transparent, open, and vulnerable in community. And to God, they can tell God anything, even when they're upset and angry, and the same thing with their community. They've got, it doesn't mean everybody, but they've got a community that they can do this with, a close community. And they all pointed to some Christ-like exemplar in their life that really had an impact on them, that really came alongside them, a mentor who really basically lived life in and out with them. And through that process, that change uh, made them more aware, and that change occurred. Okay. Finally, I think we need to engage in Scripture reading as a way that pierces into our lives and our essence, that allows us to see self-reflectively things that need to be changed, as well as ways of seeing how God has already changed me and is working in our midst and has already. We talked about that. And this, I think, is something that needs to be practiced together and learned. We can't just expect people to open up the, Bob, the Bible and know how to use it to allow God to speak and apply that to their lives. Uh, to see what needs to be changed so they become self, more self-aware. 
um, and, uh, and just expect them to know how to do it. We've got to, I think, really intentionally train, train this and do this together um, so that we can really learn how to read Scripture as a way of being in the presence of God and interacting with God and allowing him to show us things about our lives, both things that he gifts he's given us, things that he's working on in us, ways he's already worked on us, and things about our present responses that aren't, that aren't the way he, he wants us to respond. And the reason why he doesn't want us to respond that way is because he knows it's not good for us. It's not the way we're meant to respond. It's not leading to the abundant life. It's not le- leading to our flourishing. It's not leading us to becoming and enjoying all that he's created us for. And he wants what's best for us. So I think those are uh, three ways, um, practical applications of of really helping us with mindfulness and being mindful of God, self-regulation, and self-awareness. What I want you to do in your groups now, kind of in your own words, kind of discuss what we just talked about, mindfulness, self-awareness, and self-regulation. And what are some ideas that these three promoters of spiritual formation... um, some ideas you had. How are these cultivated in the church? How can they be? Think of concrete examples of how you think these have been applied. Um, and maybe think of some examples of how this might be applied better. Okay? All right. So spend some time doing this, just thinking through these again, process in your own wor- wor- words, and think of examples of how the church already does this, how our communities do this, and how can we do this better? Um, and I Hopefully, we'll give some time at this towards the end of this, and I'll be around here afterwards for that, too. So one of the things um, that we learn through the psychology of, of our change process is that there's these regular stages of change, that it seems like there's a process that we kind of go through um, as we're changing. And um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about that. The first thing about this, though, is that we need to be in communities where it's safe, transparent, loving, where spiritual formation is constantly and readily occurring. Uh, Dr. Steve Lennox at IWU calls these sanctifying communities. And if we, um, I think part of allowing us to do this are these five things. We need to fully recognize where people are in the process of formation. And it needs to be okay, and they need to be able to, to feel comfortable, invited to share and participate in this community, wherever they're at. And they need to ha- be drawn into this community where this change, because you know this is going to be a community of true love, unconditional love too. And so if that is really happening, you're going to want to share this with other people, and we all need it. Don't expect people to be in the same place. And this is for a variety of reasons. It's not always people's fault. There's critical stages of development as we grow up. And if someone's been neglected, their ability to bond is going to be, it's going to be harder for them. This doesn't mean that Christ is any less at work in their lives or that God is any more less, is any less at work in their lives. It's just the change process may be longer. And we got to remember that God's not finished with us when we die. The terminus isn't then. There's, this is something that will be completed. So looking at trajectory. So, and that is where people are going, this change process occurring. Even though maybe someone doesn't look, uh, you know, like Christ, they still may have gone through a lot and be, cha- be on that process of change. Help people fully embrace and not deny where they're at. See failure as part of growth and as a sign of growth. 
and really not even think of it as a failure. It's a slip up. And actually, when we start characterizing these as slip up, that's a great thing. That means, hey, you're slipping up. That's part of change. You're changing. And that's part of it. So it's not like you're back at square one. This is part of the change process, is to have slip-ups. Um, give people what they need to grow and for a deep-rooted dispositional change to occur. So we need to know where people are at and to be able to meet their needs where they're at. So I think being mindful of the process of change helps us meet people where they're at and give them the resources they need. And a lot of this is um, spiritual disciplines. Because uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer recognized that, that we need to be free from the drive of our immediate gratification, of our immediate emotions, to be fully open and available to God's calling wherever he may lead. He needs to be able to lead us. And for that, we need to be freed from the drive of our immediate gratifications. Um, and these are uninformed and they're deformed when before God has gotten a hold of us and is in the process of changing us. And spiritual disciplines allow us to be start, to get in the flow of God, what God's doing, to be present. They, they're chances to interact with God and to be changed and to be freed and our emotions to be shifted and changed and to start to be freed from the drive of our immediate gratifications that opens us up to the life that God has for us and for continual change. Okay, so I'm gonna go through... Um, these stages of change here. I'm going to just kind of introduce them and have you think about them and think about how you could team up different resources with these. And one of the th ways to do this is to focus on one dispositional change, one thing that either you think is commonly needed or maybe even something you need because we don't want to be overwhelmed. We've got to be, and this is the way God works too. I think he works to show us things, make us self-aware of things, and then that can be an area of change in our lives right then. And that's part of giving that over to God. Is hey, he's made me aware of something. I'm going to get in the stream of, the way, of what he's doing and um, participate in community and allow that as a means of grace to go through these stages of change. And so these stages of change, they're basically where people are at at the change process. And various things can help people move this People can go back. It's kind of like a garden here because people can go back and forth between. It's not like they all go in order, but there is kind of a, a end, um, kind of a maintenance, and that's where stable dispositions are formed, where our responses, our emotional responses are now um, what we are created to be. They're in tuned with, with, with God's. They're expressions of God's nature of his dispositions. So the first is pre-contemplation, and this is... Pre-contemplation is I'm not even aware that I have a problem. I'm not even aware that there needs to be change. So this is where self-awareness is crucial. So I'm not even aware that there's an issue here, that there's a better way for me to live, that I'm not living the way I should. I'm just not even aware of it. So self-awareness raising is, is crucial here. But even then, once I'm aware, I don't typically, I'm not going to be, oh, I'm aware of that, now I'm going to, I'm open to being changed. That's not typically it. Sometimes maybe, but then you kind of enter contemplation. And contemplation will, tends to be, well, if you're like me, I guess it's like, oh, well, at least I'm not as bad as that guy, you know? Or, oh, I'd be a lot of work. My life's fine. I'm good. You know, you're kind of ambivalent about it. 
Okay, so you recognize it, but it's not that big of a deal. It's not worth the hassle. Here, and maybe even there's nothing I can do about it. Here is where God efficacy and outcome expectation comes about. And if we've already experienced the change process, that's going to motivate us. Once we've had a taste, kind of like Dietrich and Coke, once we have a taste of what God has for us, we're going to thirst for that, and it is going to be a big deal. And that's what then goes from contemplation to preparation. And preparation is, um, preparation is we're getting the resources we need to really think about how to change, okay? It's one thing to want it, to really want it, to really desire it. It's another thing to have an understanding of what that would mean and how to go about that. And so this is where we can really team up resources to help people when they are motivated. They want what God has for them. They're prepared, giving them the resources they need. Mentorships are key because we've talked about the importance of how God uses uh, each of us in, in the other's life. And in Proverbs, we actually see uh, practices, Proverbs 2, we're instructed to engage in several practices, scriptural memorization and application, in order to behave wisely. So we're saying, hey, you want to behave wisely? First, do these kinds of things. And this is going to help you practice doing things uh, to, to be wise and to grow in the wisdom of the Lord. And then in Proverbs 3, says, you will become wise. And this is a gift of God. It's a gift of God that you've given, he's had, you've had this instruction, and that if you follow these processes, you become wise. And so I think that's the kind of thing is, what are the resources that we can provide someone, the steps and the tools that they need to practice these things, the disciplines, so that then they start to have them themselves. It starts to be part of their character, part of their dispositions. And this is a gift of God, both that there would be a way and that we can together um, provide each other with the resources for the way to be changed. Um, so basically, that's just a way of giving what God has given us and submitting to it and getting in the stream of where he, he wants us to go and how he has set things up in the world and um, how living out his intentions the way he intends us to. Okay, um, one thing I do, I'm going to have to skip some slides here, um, but one thing I do want to talk about here is then um, the action phase, which is when you start, uh, th that's, that's the transition from training and disciplines to it's a soft disposition. Now I just do it naturally. That's the difference so in Proverbs from practicing wisdom and taking steps to behave wisely to that being my automatic response. But they're soft, meaning I can get in situations that pull me away from it and I slip up. We might call these failures. They're not failures. That's part of the growth process, and we learn from them. We change from those, too. They're an instrumental part of the change. And then maintenance is when they become hard dispositions. We desire it. It's hard for us to behave in any other way than the way we've been formed to behave. And maybe even impossible. We can get to a place where it is, and it's just natural. But I want to give an example of preparation real quick. I'm going to have to skip through some slides here. Sorry, we've just had such good uh, discussion. Okay, sorry, that's, that's the one I want. Um, sorry, where was it? Here, okay. So this is a picture of people's brain. Uh, the blue, or sorry, the, the, the red are people who have been trained with empathy. They've gone through training, practicing empathy. And what happens is after they were trained, they practice empathy over time, 
and you w- let them watch someone who is suffering, they felt the feelings along with the people. They felt all the negative emotions, the sorrow, the suffering with them more than they did before. They were able, I think, to respond the way God responds to them. And then they were positioned to have the responses to the person that they're supposed to, to behave in the relationship with them that God has called us to, and then to impact them, for God to use uh, the people in their lives. The blue is when people had compassion training. They went through disciplines for compassion, and now they were changed. They were physically changed so that when they watched someone suffer, not only did they have the feelings of the pain for the person, but they had positive emotions of love. And these are the blue, are the areas of the brain of that positive emotions where they had love for the person too. And so you can see we can do things that physically changes us so that we have dispositions that we didn't have before. And we are prepared and we desire to respond to people in the way God has intended us to. We're more fully who God has created us to be. We're more fully the Imago Dei. And we are more fully able to fully participate in communities of true worship and true unconditional love. To participate in shalom and wholeness, which is what we're all intended for. That's what we're meant for. We're able to fulfill, grace be to God, and through the way he's created us and he sustains the world around us to enter in the life, the abundant life that he has for us and to participate in that with each other. Not to be bystanders, but to be in there with each other and be part of that change process together. So think about practical ways of, of, um, of uh, matching up resources with stages of change and the, the ways that we've talked about, they're kind of two key promoters. The one is uh, an openness to change, expecting it, and then a way of orienting ourselves to each other so that God uses each other to change us. And the other is an orientation uh, to God and being oriented to allow, to see him in our midst and allow him to work. And they go together. The two go together. All right, thank you guys. I think we'll have to stop there. Isn't that right? It's 11.30. I really appreciate your discussions. This was excellent, and I look forward to more discussions this afternoon. Um, thank you so much. Why don't we just stick a hand out towards Jason as we are sending him out to Iwu. I and I pray for him as he continues to teach and to serve the body of Christ in this way. God bless this man. We thank you so much for men like Dr. Runyon that are willing to mix the heart and the mind so well. And we pray that you continue to affirm him and encourage him to be someone that we can look to as someone that is trustworthy and honest and continues to stretch us in ways just to grow in our walks with you. So God, just continue to give him um, your anointing and favor and just uh, a work ethic and a love uh, for your church, for his family, and for people in a way that his work continues to practically just change lives through you working in him. And so we thank you so much for today and this chance just to sit under him and just pray that even as we go, that we can be changed and to be coming, conforming more into your body as you desire for us. Thank you so much for today. In Jesus' name, amen.